Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Hauk, and we're going to kick things off today with the iTunes review of the week. And this one here comes from Stacy C. She says, you are killing it. Amazing to get to listen to a woman who has truly transformed her life and continues to strive for the best life. Angela, you are really helping so many women in so many ways by providing knowledgeable information and delivering it in such an honest way. Thank you so much and congratulations on your success in everything that you've accomplished. So thank you, Stacey. That is very sweet of you to leave such a great review over on iTunes. And guys, this is how you can win Lane Norton's free book just by heading to iTunes, leaving an honest review. And if you're having troubles accessing this from your phone, if you go onto a computer, that seems to be a way that people are able to make sure that those reviews get up there. So you need to leave a rating, leave a review, follow Lane, and follow myself, and then you'll be entered in to win Lane's Contest Prep Guide Totally Free. Today's episode is brought to you by Four Somatic Coffee. So you guys know I'm raving about Four Somatic Coffee if you've been checking out my Instagram and been checking out uh, my YouTube. But really, this is a coffee that has been a game changer for my productivity. So I wanted to tell you guys a little bit more about it, just in case it's something that you want to try as well. So Four Somatic Coffee is less acidic than normal coffee, so it really doesn't have that stomach burning that we can sometimes get from coffee. It also is jitter-free, so way less caffeine, very minimal amount of caffeine. So it's more so like a sustained flow of energy versus having the jitters and feeling all wired. It also includes powerful antioxidants and immune boosting properties. So if you find that you're somebody who gets sick all of the time, this might be something to try. Boosts your brain and productivity, concentration, memory, and alertness. And those are the reasons why I love it. I just love getting shit done, guys. I love being able to have a cup of Forsomatic coffee and just be so on fire. So the first time that I took it, I had the Lion's Mane, which is my number one favorite product. And I was like, holy moly. I was not distracted, not thinking about X, Y, and Z, just so on fire. And I was hooked. So anywho, it, it tastes great. Definitely doesn't taste like mushrooms in my opinion. And I just really, really do enjoy it. So Forsomatic has been generous enough to sponsor the podcast and they're also offering all of you guys 10% off if you want to give it a try. So head to Forsomatic.com and enter the discount code ANGEHAUK. That's A-N-G-E-H-A-U-C-K. All right, let's get into it, guys. So we are talking to Lane Norton today and oh my goodness, guys, this guy's one of my idols. So the fact that he came on the podcast, I was like oozing the entire time. And this conversation is just pure gold, guys. We dive into the biggest contest prep and fat loss mistakes. We also talk about why he wrote the book now. Anybody who's been following Lane is aware that he's had a very turbulent past couple of years. So I dive into some really deep pain points with him. I get him very vulnerable and open and sharing emotions from a very honest place. And it was one of the greatest interviews that I've had on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to you guys listening to this one. We also talk about refeeding versus cheat meals. What's the difference between the two and why you would want to use one 
the other, or one would be the best time to use each. We talk about diet breaks, what they are and how to use them, how to transition from flexible dieting into intuitive eating. We also talk about when to push harder and when to pull back. So when our body is telling us go a little bit deeper versus, okay, we're, we're at that risk of injury. So we talk about that. We talk about artificial sweeteners, alcohol, all of his big goals. And you guys are just going to find a ton of value from today's conversation. I'm certain of it. So enough talking for me. Here we go. So Lane Norton is a dad, a professional powerlifter, pro natural bodybuilder. He has a PhD in nutritional sciences, and he calls himself the OG of the online coaching space. He is the author of the Contest Prep Guide, and you guys remember, because in the last episode, I was raving about how Lane was literally my savior for popularizing flexible dieting and saving me from binge eating. So welcome, Lane. It is wonderful to have you here. Thanks, Angela. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. So I just want to start off by thanking you for the impact that you're making in this world. And I also found it very interesting because doing research on you, I found out that you were a Sagittarius and that really didn't surprise me. Yeah, born December 15th. Yeah, so I'm December 8th and you have all of the qualities of uh, Sagittarius. So optimism, being straightforward, taking on big challenges and helping others just seems to really uh, stand to your character, that's for sure. Yeah, I've always been into big challenges and and trying to help people. That's kind of uh, uh, that's kind of been my passion since I've been young. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that started for you? Like, do you have early memories of liking helping other people, whether that was at school or anything really? I think I think, um, I, think I always had a goal that I wanted to be a good person and help. And I figured the best way I could be a good person was to do something that would help a lot of other people. So I think that um, kind of um, – that's probably kind of what motivated me to, to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for those that don't know you, where does your story begin, Lane? Uh, well, I guess the abridged version would be I got into weightlifting when I was <clears throat> about 15 years old because – I um wow hard to believe I've been doing it 20 years now. Um, I was I was not very popular uh, at school. I didn't get a lot of attention from girls, and I kind of wanted to do something that would hopefully help out with that. Uh, weightlifting did not help either of those things, but <laughs> it did. I did form a passion for weightlifting that um, stayed with me for obviously over 20 years, and um, you know it it started as kind of a hobby grew to a passion and by the time it had reached the point where I was competing I was doing a biology major in college I knew I liked science um, but my chemistry professor uh, in freshman year convinced me that I should do biochemistry based on my interests and um, I'm really glad he did because that made a big difference for me um, so I did a biochemistry degree kept doing kind of I don't want to call it research um, because Research is, in my mind, is actually doing, um, like, being in a lab and, and doing original stuff, um, and 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 you know writing reviews and those sorts of things. But I, I kind of 
like did my own analysis of studies and I looked at a lot of studies and I tried to understand, um, you know, what, what made the human body tick. And I was particularly interested in, um, nutrition and protein, protein synthesis, you know, how we, how we, uh, basically I wanted to learn how to get bigger, <laughs> grow more muscle, uh, lose body fat. That was kind of, um, that was kind of where my passions were. And uh, I was competing during this time. And, um, then I applied to graduate school because I just didn't feel like I knew anything and got accepted into the PhD program at the university of Illinois nutritional science division, which was, uh, and I think still is a top three program in the country. And, more than the program, uh, my advisor was wonderful, um, Dr. Don Lehman. He's just one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in my life. And um, he was just a phenomenal advisor. And while I was there, I was I was continuing to compete, do well. And I even started uh, – I was writing articles for, God, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> bodybuilding.com, muscular development, um, any magazine that would take it, I would write it. And uh, I started my own business during that time of coaching. So I started the, my online coaching business in 2005 was when I took my first client. And uh, I, I incorporated it in 2007. So I, you know, now being an online coach is a very, very – like if you're into fitness and you're not online coaching, I think you're, <laughs> mm -hmm. you're probably unique. Um, but I was doing this when, when – you know, I don't want to say nobody else was doing it um, – but I was kind of one of the first people who did it on a large scale and kind of popularized the concept. And uh, so that's why I call myself the OG online coach just because it's funny. I'll still get people who will say, oh, do you do you coach people online? And I'm thinking, God, where have you been for the last 10 years? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, not everybody knows. And now I'm more of a content guy. I, I, I do coach people. Um, but I guess most of what I've – I've really found to, to be the best is, is content, putting a lot of content out there. Um, you know, I do, I do coach and I do enjoy it. Um, and I love giving away free content, but unfortunately, uh, doesn't, doesn't put food on the table. Good feelings don't put food on the table. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I've been doing that for the last, uh, 12, 13 years while I was in graduate school. So the first five years of my business, I was still in grad school full time. And then I, I got out, did really well at some pro shows and uh, got into powerlifting as well, did really well in powerlifting, was a two-time national champion in powerlifting, got second in the world in 2015, set a then squat world record, and yeah, that's, that's, and then I started a few different companies, wrote a book, and that's kind of, that's kind of the abridged version, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've done some substantial things over the past 20 years, that's for sure. Now, I'm curious, how did you get linked up with Dr. Joe? Which, for those that are listening that maybe don't know Dr. Joe, he's kind of the guy who started counting macros and, and the whole flexible dieting. So how did you meet him? Yeah, it's a great question. So actually, Joe's uh, from my hometown. He lives no, in Evansville. No, no yeah, way. I, that's crazy. Yeah. So he lived in Evansville, Indiana, and I, I grew up in Evansville, Indiana. And, um, you know, when I, was, I remember my senior year in high school, I got the idea that I wanted to compete in bodybuilding. And my friend Josh Kuhn, who was um, – he actually competed at my first show. He was like always the big guy in high school. We were, we were friends. It wasn't a rivalry or anything, but um, I really wanted to beat him for the first show. Yeah, um, yeah. But he, he had said, oh, I'm going to go meet with this guy. He's, you know, a bodybuilding coach and – 
he lives in the area and, you know, everybody says he's really great. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't know anybody else that was a bodybuilding coach in the area, you know, like it just wasn't a, wasn't a big thing back then. You know, it was just, you went to your personal trainer who had competed before and you kind of got advice from them. So, you know, I didn't really uh, do anything with it at that point. That was in the middle of my senior year of high school. I just knew the name and then went off to college, decided I wanted to compete, uh, summer after my, um, senior year or summer after my, my freshman year, sorry, of college. And, um, Joe was actually promoting the show, the, uh, mid America muscle classic 2001 mid America muscle classic in Evansville. And obviously being my hometown, that was very, um, I was going to do that show. You know, this is before the days where Lane had money to fly to stuff and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously my whole family could come, but, um, so I came across his name again there. And then, um, I was reading everything I get my hands on about natural bodybuilding because, you know, uh, this was when I had the epiphany that the guys in the magazines were on steroids. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so I started reading about more about the natural bodybuilding to, to get more information. And Joe really resonated with me because he had a lot of science-based stuff. And um, so I was reading his articles and – God, I forget the name of the magazine. It, it's escaping me because it was darn near 20 years ago. But um, he, he had this article on peaking and it was just completely opposite to everybody I'd ever talked to. You know, he said, you know, don't cut water, don't cut sodium, you know, all this different stuff. And I found it really fascinating. So I kind of emailed him asking for some advice and, you know, probably didn't mean to do this, but probably was uh, abusing his time a little bit. Mm -hmm. Probably, um, you know, it was just, I was just a really enthusiastic kid. And he said, Hey, you know, like, um, I'd love to help you, but, you know, to go into this level of detail, you know, uh, usually this is what I charge people for. And that's when my my brain kind of switched on. I was like, oh yeah, he needs to make a living. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, he he charged me a very very small amount. It went into a lot of detail. So, um, about three weeks out from my first show, I was going to go meet him, and um, he was going to, you know, kind of plan my last few weeks. He was going to talk about my posing you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was, I was very nervous because this is the first guy I've ever met who coaches bodybuilding and he, he's going to tell me if I'm worth a crap or not, you know? And if you know, Joe, he's very direct, yeah. he's very yeah. direct. So, um, you know, I, I went through my, my poses and, and met with him and, uh, he was like, are you, are you entered in the novice class? Cause I was just in the teenage class and I was like, Oh, I, I, I don't, you know, I was just going to do the teen. I don't know about the novice. And he kind of like winked at me. He's like, you should do the novice. Uh, so I entered the novice as well. Um, he did my peak for the last week and all that kind of stuff. And I ended up winning the, the teen division and the novice tall. And boy, I was hooked from there. So that's kind of how I met Joe. And then, you know, obviously whenever I would need uh, feedback or coaching, he was kind of who I, I talked to. Um, and yeah, when I got into coaching, he was very encouraging, very positive. Um, he could have been, you know, at the time he didn't have much competition cause he was doing some online coaching. So he didn't have much competition and, uh, you know, he really could have had a different attitude because I've seen this from people. I've had so many people that I've helped who act like I don't exist anymore or, or even negative towards me when I like literally help them set their business up. Yeah. Um, because they view it as, Oh, this is competition. I don't, you know, I don't want people thinking, you know, Lane helped me or something. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you know, it's, 
it, it, I don't understand the scarcity mindset, but some people have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe never had that. It was very uh, open and giving. And like anytime I'd ask him questions about like dealing with clients and, and whatnot, very happy to answer those. Like he was just, um, I, got, I got very, very lucky with the mentors in my life um, mm-hmm. with, with Dr. Lehman and, and Dr. Joe. So I feel very grateful to have had them come into my life because it was very, um, you know, I don't necessarily believe in luck. I believe everybody has opportunities. You just got to know when to grab them. But I'm very thankful uh, that I recognize them as good people to have in my life and uh, good advisors because they really made a world of difference for me. Yeah, and I would just say there are so many shitty coaches, I'm sure even at that point, people who were coaching bodybuilding who would have steered you in a completely different direction. So it's really crazy that the one bodybuilding coach that you knew and that you crossed paths with ended up being a winner, really. Yeah, I mean, he was literally the one evidence-based coach. Exactly. Like, like that was the, the possibility. List. That's crazy. That was the list. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he lived in my hometown. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, I, otherwise I would have just gotten a gym bro. Exactly. And they would have told that. Now, I will say I would have figured it out eventually because my brain works like a scientist, fortunately. Yeah. So I'm I'm usually pretty <laughs> – when it comes to claims about things, I'm pretty skeptical yeah. unless it's – people and then I'm naive and very uh, trusting. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when it comes to claims, I'm very skeptical. And um, I almost always want to like, you know, research myself. So um, I would have figured it out, but it would have set me back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about your book, Lane. So first of all, before we even dive into all of the things that it includes, I'm just curious, why now did you write the book? <laughs> Great question, and I'm going to give you the absolute honest answer. Desperation. The last two years of my life have been very difficult. I've kind of talked about them openly. I don't know if yeah. you've seen any of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm but, up with um, you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so I was towards the tail end of uh, a divorce, and within the same month, I lost two businesses. Um, one of them was just uh, my supplement business. It just wasn't selling, and it was time for it to be done. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was kind of expecting that, but another one was completely unexpected, just completely, utterly shocked me, took me by surprise. And it was kind of my business that, um, you know, it was going to be like the thing. And so, you know, I'm sitting here and 70% of my income is gone in yeah. a month. Um, I had kind of gotten away from coaching because I'd been focusing on these other things. And I knew I'd be able to build back up the coaching, but, um, you know, it was kind of like, what the hell do I do? Mm-hmm. And uh, my uh, my friend Peter Baker, who was an author for my website, uh, he wrote a lot of articles for us. He's like, why haven't you ever considered a book? <laughs> it's so funny. I really enjoyed the process of writing that book, like mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But typically I hate writing. It just – it's so hard. I'm much more of a video guy. It's so mm-hmm. hard to really put across your ideas in a manner that makes sense when you're putting them down on paper. Mm -hmm. To me it is because I'm a very verbal communicator. Um, But I tell you what, I learned so much writing it too because I had all these ideas and the ways I had done things, but I'm like, you know what, I really need to go back and get more information, you know, because you can't go by feels if you're writing a book. You got to give people some hard numbers. Mm -hmm. And um, man, it really lit a fire in me. Like, so the... The start of it was not a noble start. <laughs> um, you know, it was let's figure out how to keep some food on the table, but it it re-sparked that passion in me. And um, you know, after going through a pretty rough couple of years, 
seeing that book released and seeing the hype around it and seeing the the reviews that the other experts were giving it and were giving it glowing reviews and, and just how many people bought it on the presale even you know it, it just makes you feel really good when you've got something uh, of, the, of value and people really want it like that's that's when I've always felt the best in my life and when I've felt like I'm doing the the most good and when I felt like I'm really clicking was when I was putting out a lot of stuff and people really wanted it that makes me feel good so it's funny how the things that could be the worst thing in your life you can make them into the best thing in your life it just mm -hmm. you really got to work at it um and you know peter and i put a lot of work into that book and uh, hopefully it shows i think it shows yeah it, I'm, it's I'm really proud of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah i'm it, really proud of it yeah. and uh you know it's it's just we put everything in you know it's it mm -hmm. is comprehensive for contest prep so mm -hmm. um yeah, and there's really nothing else out there like it. And the great thing is, is that you know, even if you're not interested in contest prep, anybody who wants to set up a fat loss diet, the, all the X's and O's are there. You know, absolutely, it shows anybody how to do it. So, um, yeah, it, it it started out as not the most noble of intentions, but it certainly uh, sparked that passion in me. And by the end, I was just enjoying writing the thing. And just every day, it was kind of like, should I put this? Oh, I'm putting it in. <laughs> mm. And then also shout out to. Um, Keith Crocker, who did the images for the book and um, did all like the graphics and mm -hmm. put it together in a nice format. I, I thought he did a really, really great job on that. Really nice job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I almost heard your voice when I was reading it, which I love that because so often I writers, <laughs> I'll, I'll hear them on podcasts or see them in videos and they have this personality and then they write a book and I'm like, yo, that's not how you talk. Whereas I was yeah. reading it and I was like, this is how Lane talks. And it's so <laughs> good to hear your voice come out in a way that seems so authentic and true to who you are. It's so funny you say that because I felt that way as well. Reading it, it felt very genuine. And that's why you know that like, you know, Peter helped me with it, but we wrote it in my voice. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't it wasn't somebody ghost wrote it for me. Like I did a lot of the actual writing. Um, Peter helped me organize it and he definitely wrote parts of it. But I think we did a good job of making it flow mm -hmm. and um, you know, keeping it in, in my voice. And, you know, interestingly, we're considering doing an audiobook as well. Mm -hmm, um, for sure. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody and I was like, you know, should I record it or should I have somebody else do it? You know, I've never done an audio book. And the person was like, audio books that are narrated by other people than the author suck. Big time. <laughs> I, was, I was like, well, yeah, you're probably right. So, um, I think that's probably something I'll do it at some point. Yeah. Uh, just not sure when yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I, you have a passionate voice. So I feel like if you were to do it in your own voice, you'd just be able to speak the messages that much uh, like stronger. But uh, yeah, let's go into top three contest prep mistakes that you see. Top three contest prep mistakes I see. I think the first one is not being in a good metabolic position before you even start prep. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had a gal come to me the other day and she was maintaining her body weight on 1500 to 1700 calories and she needed to lose about 25 pounds for contest. And I said, how do you propose we do this? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't trying to be mean. I'm just, and she said, well, I figured we could play with my macros or we could do some carb cycling or something. I, I want to be very clear. There's nothing magic about shuffling your macros around. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you get enough protein in, then carbohydrate versus fat, it doesn't really seem to make a difference in body composition. You can debate whether it makes a difference in other things. But um, 
so shuffling your macros around not going to make a difference. You know, if your metabolism is so slow that you're maintaining at a low calorie intake, you know, there's only one real solution for that. And I, I talked to somebody the other day and they said um, they were in a similar situation, not wanting to compete, but they just wanted to lose some weight. And they said, well, do, do you really think I need to reverse diet? And I said, well, what other option do you have? Mm-hmm. And they, they, they were kind of thought about it for a second. And it's like, okay, well, if you want to get leaner, you've got to drop your calories lower, which is going to be, you know, if you're maintaining on 15 to 1600, 11, 12, 1300. Okay. And then once you plateau, then what are you going to do? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, they kind of came to that conclusion on their own, you know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of when I, when people criticize reverse dieting and people in these situations, I always say, well, what else, what other option do you have? Mm-hmm. So not being in a good place to start, you know, make sure that when you're in your off season, so many people, their, their non-competition season is just, they just fuck around. Yep. They fuck around. Mm-hmm. And it really annoys me. Shows are won in the off season. That's when you win shows. That's what I say not all during, the time. All the time. Drives me crazy. You, but mm-hmm. People need to write that on the inside of their training manual. Yeah. Any person, well, not any person, but darn, a lot of people can stay focused for 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. 10 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever. That's easy, relatively. Being consistent over 365 days a year, that mm-hmm. is what makes the difference. Because you can only get so lean, right? Mm-hmm. And even if you get as lean as you possibly can, once you're losing fat, you can't control how much muscle mass you have. It is what it is. You're going to lose probably some, but you can maintain a little more if you, but you're not going to gain some for the most part. Yeah. You can't control your genetics. Those are what they are. And you can't control your aesthetics, but you can't control how lean you get. But in the off season, that's when you can make improvements. And so many people, especially, I hate to pick on them, women, mm-hmm. um, they get in the quote unquote off season and immediately they've put on 10 pounds from their show and they go, well, I just want to diet to lose this five pounds. Yeah. Okay. So they try to diet down and they kind of, They'll lose a pound here or there, but then they gain it back because they have a cheat on the weekend or whatever. And they do this for months on end and they just fuck around with it. Mm-hmm. Like, and they get nowhere. They get mm-hmm. nowhere. Their metabolic rate doesn't go up or not by an appreciable amount. They kind of maintain a higher body fat and they get absolutely nowhere. You're better off adding body fat and staying in a sustained caloric surplus during that time. And at least by the time you go to prep, you may have more body fat, but at least your metabolism will be going faster. And yeah, dieting's easy if you have a good, like if your metabolism is in a good position and you've had an extended off season, your dieting process is like nowhere near the same process as what it would be otherwise, but people just can't view it that way. No, I, I tell people, people shoot themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, they chase five or 10 pounds and it ends up screwing them. That's what they do. They chase it all year, every year, and it's why you don't win shows. It's why you can't get to the body you want because you get so focused on these stupid short-term goals that you don't think about what's going to be best for you in the long run. Short-term goals are fine as long as they support your long-term goal. If your long-term goal, for example, is to win nationals and you need to get more muscle mass, then if you're always trying to diet, you're not going to do it. And so that short-term goal is sabotaging your long-term goal. I, ha- I had a gal. Um, I love her. She's a great client. But um, she did nationals this past year. And um, you know, I'm not doing this to pick on her because a lot of people do this. But 
you know, she gained about, she's up about 10 pounds from her stage weight, but she's in a relatively okay metabolic position. She did a, a pretty good job reverse dieting. Um, but it's, well, the Arnold's coming up and I want to be leaner for that. Why? We need to get you ready for nationals in November for next year because your goal is you want to win a pro card. If you want to get, win a pro card, then fuck the Arnold. Mm-hmm. Fuck this photo shoot that you have two weeks from now. You need to focus on what your goal actually is. Mm-hmm. Now, every once in a while, if somebody's in a good position, you can incorporate things like mini cuts and those sorts of things that keep people leaner. That, that's okay. But like I said, that's the biggest mistake is people fuck around with their offseason. That's the biggest mistake. Second biggest mistake is they don't give themselves enough time to prep. They're not yeah. honest with themselves. And I, I had a gal the other day who um, she's doing a show next week and she's like, well – I'll reverse diet, and then I think I'll do a show in the fall. And I'm like, let's let's do some math here. So minimum – she's pretty lean and her calories aren't super low, but I'm like minimum time you need to reverse diet is 16 weeks. All right? That puts you already in August. Mm-hmm. All right? That's just – that is just to recover. That's just to get normal again. That's just to get your hormones back normal again. Then if you want to build muscle, that's another few months. You're already into the potential show date you wanted to do. Even if you just competed in one period per year, let's take somebody, let's take a male bodybuilder who has to get really lean. I know you're probably most of your audience is female. Well, let's use a female who, let's say a bikini competitor who doesn't have to get crazy lean, but you know, bikini competitors still get pretty darn lean these days. Mm-hmm. So it takes them four months to get there. And then they're going to spend uh, at least four or five or six months recovering from that because that's what the data says it takes just to recover and get back to being normal again and you want to you want to make some improvements to your body well uh, four months plus four months let's do the minimum that's eight months right there right Mm -hmm. so if you want in your show if you did it once a year you have another four months left so how are you going to build muscle um, and diet for your show with four months to go. So I'm not saying people can't compete every year, but if you want to gain muscle, you better not be competing every year. Mm-hmm. Period. If you got to build muscle, and especially as a female, if you need to build muscle and you've already been lifting for a few years and you're near kind of your genetic limit, if you want to get better, you better be okay with not competing for a year because that's where improvements are going to happen. Yeah, I took five years because I was competing as a figure girl like early 20s and like looking at these 30 year olds and being like there's no way so it's like next five years I'm just going to say screw it and just gonna build muscle like crazy and now my physique looks totally different but for most people they would be like five years is such a long time but either way the time's gonna pass so just might as well get what you want yeah you might as well devote the time now and then it's gonna be smaller growth that you're gonna be looking at later on but like not having any foundation like you're if you're in your early 20s like you just you you have a lot of room to grow and and really you should be maximizing that versus like up and down all year long yeah and that's what most people do you know Mm -hmm. like like i said that most people are dogs chasing a chew toy Mm -hmm. you know they're just they're running around circles trying to grab their tail and mm-hmm. um you know if you really want to like like uh when i won my pro card for natural bodybuilding i took four years off yeah took four years off put on three pounds of stage weight but that three pounds made an enormous difference in how i looked yeah and 
people, a lot of people just don't do that. They want to compete every year. Now, if you're happy with your level of muscle mass, you can probably do that, but you got to be pretty darn diligent about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think that's another big thing. Um, giving yourself enough time, um, in pre-contest and off season. And let me tell you what, if you got 30 pounds to lose or 25 pounds to lose, 12 weeks ain't going to cut it. Mm -hmm. Like you better, you better get real because you're going to have to crash diet to get ready with that. And think about it. Things come up. When was the last time you had any, let's say 16 week period of your life where nothing stressful happened? Exactly. Good luck. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always, you know, I dieted for uh, 24 weeks for my pro shows and I felt that 24 was kind of the bare shameful minimum I needed to do, you know, um, especially now with, with the information we have on diet breaks, I think even, you know, doing maybe even longer preps and instituting more diet breaks might be helpful, but that's my number two one. And I guess the, the, the next, the last, um, biggest mistake I would have people, I would say is people aren't honest with themselves about how lean they really need to get. So they, I think it goes both ways. I think some people are too hard on themselves, but I think sometimes, you know, you, you get, you get yourself in the right lighting and you, Oh, look at that. Look at how my glute looks. Look at how my, my abs look in this, this, this great lighting. Um, I tell my clients a lot of times, um, I want you to take the photos that you send to me with the flash on in normal lighting, you know, overhead lighting, because I want to see what you look like with terrible lighting. And when you look great in that, then we know you're ready mm -hmm. because those stage lights are unforgiving. If you think you're going to look better on stage than you do in your bathroom lighting, you're out of your mind. Yeah. So find harsh lighting and take progress pictures in that because that is going to give you a realistic accounting of what you're going to look like on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned diet breaks there. Can you expand further on what those are for our audience and uh, what the research says behind them? Yeah. So, um, diet breaks, there was a study that recently came up out of the university of Tasmania. Uh, it's called the matador study. And basically what they did was they took, um, uh, two groups of people. They had one group diet for 16 weeks straight and another group diet for, um, so 16 weeks of caloric restriction interspersed. So they would diet. So the first two weeks they dieted, then they took a two week diet break where they ate at maintenance calories, dieted again for two weeks, two week break, dieted again for two weeks, two week break. And they did that for 30 weeks. So there was 16 weeks of dieting and 14 weeks of breaks. The group that did the diet breaks per week of caloric restriction lost significantly more body fat and retained significantly more lean body mass than the group that just did straight caloric restriction. Now, keep in mind, however, the group that just did dieting for 16 weeks straight through lost more fat during that 16-week time period because the group that was doing the diet breaks would have only have dieted like eight or 10 weeks out of that time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they're breaking it up, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But on the whole, if you look at the 30-week time period versus the 16-week time period, on the whole of the weeks that they were calorically restricted, the group that was doing the diet breaks lost more body fat, retained more lean body mass. And they had, they had better hunger, satiety signals and whatnot. Now, 
I think what is important to note is people hear the word diet break and they get the wrong impression. Oh, I can eat what I want. No. If you're eating at maintenance calories, that's still going to feel relatively restrictive. That's not just a free-for-all, go out and have whatever you want. Um, now, everybody's maintenance calories are different, but for a lot of people, that means you're eating at 1,800 calories a day as opposed to 1,300 calories a day. It's, it may not be the smorgasbord you're hoping for, mm -hmm. but um, that seemed to make a big difference in terms of overall fat loss So, and in terms of lean body mass retention. So it's something I've been trying with my clients. Um, I find that some people respond really well to it. Others don't respond that great to it. Um, but I think it is a useful tool that, that can be used for, for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, in terms of refeeding versus cheat meals, that kind of ties into this as well. So you talked a little bit about that kind of free-for-all attitude. So what's the difference between refeeding versus cheating? When you do cheat meals or cheat days, basically you have to structure the rest of your diet to accommodate that. So basically – because I've done this before and I know the mentality. Um, I used to give myself a cheat day. I would let myself for 12 hours have whatever I wanted one day a week. And what I found was uh, after a few weeks, I stopped losing body fat. And I, I, kept, I kept having to go lower and lower and lower and lower on my other days in order to accommodate that cheat day, mm -hmm. right? So these people, they, what happens is people just – they don't want to be – it's like the same reason people get drunk or do drugs. They don't want to think. You know, they, they want to be escape reality. So if somebody's on a diet, they oh, this diet's hard. I want to escape reality. And so they basically give themselves an excuse to go on a food bender for 24 hours. Um, and then they're shocked that they gained five pounds in 24 hours. Uh, now, some of that's water, of course. But um, it's so funny. I, I'm like, have you noticed that you're just like a rat on a wheel? Like mm -hmm. you gain five pounds in your cheat day and then you spend the next five days trying to take it off. Like something needs to change here. So what me and Peter tried to point out was there, there, there can be reasons to have a hypercaloric intake. But if you're doing it, it needs to be controlled. So if your target is 500 grams of carbohydrate and uh, 80 grams of fat, that's fine. If, you're, if your metabolism accommodates that, it doesn't mean eat whatever the hell you want. It means hit those numbers. So I think that's an important difference because all I know is if you gave me 24 hours and told me I could eat whatever I wanted, I could throw down 10,000 calories easily. No mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. And, um, you know, people who say, oh, you can't gain fat from one cheat day or one cheat meal. Um, everyone who's ever done this kind of thing knows that that's bullshit. Um, and people say, well, it's water. Well, water doesn't stay around for a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's just the cheat mentality. I just don't, I also don't like it because it puts people in the wrong frame of mind. They end up feeling guilty afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. like they did something wrong. You know, if I, if, if I eat more carbohydrate because I have a targeted refeed day, I don't feel guilty. That's just what my protocol called for, you yeah. know, but if I have a cheat day, it, it implies somehow that those foods are bad and I should feel bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I had some questions from our audience that I have for you next here, Lane. So the first question is, how do you transition from flexible dieting when you've been working towards a goal into a more intuitive eating approach? 
Yeah, so I think intuitive eating makes makes um, is different for everybody. Um, the research does show that if you've ever had any kind of eating disorder, intuitive eating may just not work for you because your hunger signals are so dysregulated that it, it just may not work. Now, what I refer to intuitive eating as for me, I don't have my app out after every meal putting my food in. Um, you know, I don't carry a food scale around. But basically what I do is when I go out to eat or I, I have dinner, if I don't know what's in it, I just do my best job to guesstimate what it was. I write it into the notes section of my phone and I add it up at the end of the day and I try to hit my numbers. And you know what? That takes me five minutes out of the day. It does not cost me a lot of time. Um, I do that every day. And, um, you know, because even me, like if I went based on hunger, I could always eat. Like I'm not necessarily hungry, but I could always eat. Um, and I've been that way ever since my first contest. I think that first contest screwed up my hunger signals. So, you know, I, I think that intuitive eating is something to work towards, keeping in mind that's the deep end of the pool, right? So meal plans would be the, the, the steps of the pool. Um, tracking macros and a food scale and everything would be the shallow end of the pool. And, and intuitive eating would be the deep end of the pool, right? You're swimming on your own. But it's always going to require some kind of cognitive restraint. I think if intuitive eating was reasonable for most people to just listen to their hunger signals, we wouldn't have an obesity crisis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's okay to have that as a goal to move towards. But I think if you're just relying on hunger, I think you might be setting yourself up for failure. I think probably have an idea of at least like a protein and calorie target that you want to hit and then do some mindful thinking about how close you are to those targets. Mm -hmm. And I think after you've weighed chicken a million times, you can essentially look at it and eyeball it pretty well. And I think that's where <laughs> flexible dieting and tracking your macros set you up for success to really understand how to eyeball in the future and being incredibly accurate. What would you say? No, I agree with you. I mean, you know, like people who don't make tons of money, if, if they want to save money, you need to be on a budget, right? Like if you're not in a budget, it's mm -hmm. just not going to magically appear in your bank account. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing with, with tracking, you know, if you tracking, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're teaching a man to fish. You're not giving a, uh, a man a fish, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're showing them this is what is in this food. The most I ever learned about nutrition, the most I ever learned about nutrition. I'm going to date myself here. I had the complete book of food counts during my first contest prep. And I literally spent three hours walking to the grocery store. The first time I went to buy myself groceries for bodybuilding and I just looked up the foods and looked what was in them. Oh, this is a higher protein. Oh, this is a higher carb food. Oh, this is a higher fat food. Oh, this has this and this. And I just learned. I learned so much that way, you mm -hmm. know. And people discount that. That is the most you will ever learn about nutrition is just understanding what's in food. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And next question is – as an athlete who has been knocked down by a couple of injuries, how do you know when to push harder and how do you know when to pull back? Oh, great question. <laughs> um, I think part of it is, you know, usually what I tell people, if you have something that's uh, more than a three or four out of 10 on the pain scale and persists more than a couple of weeks, you probably need to pull back. If you're lifting heavy, you're always going to have a little something. Like you're, you're probably never going to feel wonderful all the time and that's okay. But I think also understanding what injury you're prone to, obviously I'm prone to 
a lower back disc bulge that acts up here and there. So if I wake up one morning and I'm supposed to have heavy squats and, and my back's feeling a little weird, I probably need to skip the heavy squats and go do something accessory wise, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even though I got injured again, my last training block for nationals, I think I learned a lot about myself in terms of I'm actually able to get pretty strong on not a huge amount of actual squatting because that pathway is there. I've done the work on learning how to squat. I don't have to learn how to squat. Um, I know the pathway. It's just kind of refining that skill and then getting enough hypertrophy to actually, you know, be able to display that skill when I'm, when I'm, when I'm doing a meet. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, I guess if you have something that's a three or four out of 10 and it persists for more than two weeks, I would, I would not ignore it. I would, I would try to do something about it. And the other thing that I really learned from Stu McGill, uh, who's the world expert on back pain is stop trying to recreate the pain. Like (laughs) people, you know, you hurt something and you, you, people, you know, you do this where you like check it and see if it's better, you know, no, every time you do that, you're sensitizing that nerve to that pain. Mm -hmm. Pain is not one of those things where you, oh, if you have pain, well, if you just make yourself feel that pain more, you get better at tolerating. No, it's the exact opposite. You sensitize that nerve and you make it worse. So like I had a hip injury a couple of years ago and I kept pressing on it to the point where I got to the point where I couldn't squat 135 without a nine out of 10 pain. So the best thing you can do if you're injured is to find positions that do not cause pain. Don't aggravate things. Um, and then give it time, let it heal. Cause guess what? If you're not in pain, then just stay in that position. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty simple. So now obviously like with the disc bulge I had with the point where I couldn't even stand up, um, you know, I couldn't find a position in a squat where I wasn't going to have pain. So I just had to stop squatting and I haven't squatted since probably like December 10th. Um, but that's for a reason, you know, we're building a base, we're doing a lot of rehab the other thing is don't ignore stuff. Like people get – like I had somebody who like – I had a guy email me who obviously torn his pec. Like it was blatantly obvious. I'm not a surgeon. I haven't seen his MRI, but it was blatantly obvious he had torn his pec. And I said, dude, you need to get an MRI and get surgery. He said, well, what if I get some massage therapy or, or I've heard about this PRP thing. I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. you need surgery, mm-hmm. period. Yeah. You know, why people like don't hide your head in the sand. One of my favorite quotes for, is from uh, Game of Thrones from Tyrion Lannister. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I don't. No. Okay. But you well, can still a, share. <laughs> yeah. So there's a dwarf in the show. Okay. And his name's Tyrion Lannister, and his entire family hates him just for being a dwarf. And um, he said something. Uh, he was actually talking to another character in the show who's a, who's a bastard, and he calls him bastard. And the guy gets offended and he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying it as an offense. I'm, I'm saying it as a fact. He said, you're better off acknowledging a hard truth and facing it than pretending like it doesn't exist. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite quotes. I love that. Whenever I'm like, <laughs> for example, there was a time this year uh, where I owed more to attorneys than I had in my bank account. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, and I like, I usually do like every month I do an accounting of, you know, kind of what my financial situation is, what the business financial situation is, all that kind of stuff. And I was going to skip it that month because I'm just, I just don't want to see it. I do not want to look at it. And I made myself do it because I'm like, you know what? 
I'm better off knowing what the truth is and being able to to operate from there than just hiding my head in the sand and saying, nope, this isn't happening, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, like I always remember that quote. It always pulls me back to center about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really funny because my next question was uh, that I pulled up your Facebook profile and in your p- Facebook profile it says – Challenges are what make life interesting. Overcoming them is what makes life worthwhile. So how do you pull yourself out of those times when life knocks you down like that? Oh, man. You know, I've always been a pretty resilient person. And I think most of my friends and my girlfriend Holly would would attest to that. I'm a pretty resilient person. But the last year, man, it tested me. Um, You know, I think that one of the things I I always kept in mind – when you know when when I kind of lost my my one business, um, I was devastated. Like I was pretty much catatonic um, for about 24 hours, and um, just like I called my parents and I was crying and like feeling like I wasn't gonna be able to take care of my kids and um, you know I just felt like a failure, and um, you know but in the back of my head, <laughs> it's gonna sound really stupid, but in the back of my head there was this little voice and it kept saying. Man, but when you come back, this is going to make for a great comeback story. This is going to be mm-hmm. awesome. And, you know, mm-hmm. don't worry. It was more overblown by that stressed voice in my head saying, we're not going to be able to make a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it kind of like I've had to – I don't want to make it out to seem like I had some you know awful childhood or anything like that. Um, there are people who have come from way worse and have done way more than I've done. So I don't want to make it – I don't want to make myself seem like some kind of hero. Um but, you know, I had to deal with a lot growing up in terms of like um, abuse from my peers, um, not physical, but emotional abuse from my peers. Um, Holly and I were talking last night and she was like, oh, yeah, we, we, we went like, for example, we went to birthday parties all the time growing up. And she's like, hey, you didn't you didn't go to a lot of birthday parties. I'm like, yeah, babe, not a lot of people were lining up to be my friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because I just didn't have many friends growing up. And, and even the ones that I, you know, I called my friends were usually the ones who abused me the worst, uh, in terms of just like being awful towards me. Um, you know, I was the butt of every joke in high school, and, but you know, I, I didn't just kind of give up. I, I kind of used that to motivate myself to, to do other things. That was kind of what motivated me to get into lifting weights and to get good grades in school and to get into a good college and to, to get good grades in college and to, to win a bodybuilding show. And, and then, you know, I went through injuries and I came back from those and I was almost on academic probation in grad school because I was underperforming and I came back from that to, to graduate with honors. And, um, you know, like, so I'd seen myself, like I, I built that confidence through small victories and small obstacles that I'd overcome. There's like 10 major life stresses. They say that are the most stressful things you can go through. I think I had like three or four of them in the same month. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like, okay, so the first thing is we're going to get through this because we're not – none of this is going to kill us, right? Mm-hmm. I don't have terminal illness. Um, I'm not going to die. So mm-hmm. I can, I'm, gonna, I'm going to get through it. So we just have to fucking get through it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I just told myself that every day. Just, okay, just get through it. Um, the other thing is victim mentality versus – you can call it hero mentality. Victim mentality is – Things happen to me. I have no control. There's nothing I can do. And this just is what is. Hero mentality is 
I'm in control of 90% of the shit going on around me. And even if I'm not, I can control how I respond to things, even if I can't control what happens. So I just kept telling myself, I can control how I respond. I put up something on Instagram a few weeks ago. Um, A gal sent me a really nice message. I guess, you know, I I can't really talk about what happened just because of um, legal matters. But, um, you know, some people kind of got the gist of what happened. And um, she said, you know, uh, this was somebody who'd followed me for a while. She actually went to one of my camps in Australia. And she said, I just don't, I don't, she's like, just remember, you're not a victim. You're a hero. And I, I, as dumb as it sounds, every morning I got up and I said that to myself. Even when I didn't feel like even getting out of bed, I said, you're not a victim. 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 And I just kept saying that over and over. And I put the cheesy motivational speeches from Les Brown and everybody and Eric Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I just listened to them over and over. And I just kept telling myself, you're going to get through it. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is a lot of times in life, you know, people reach a, a shutdown moment where they just go, I, I can't, I can't, right? And they just shut down. Mm-hmm. Well, eventually you're going to come out of that most likely. But if you shut down and you stop, you know, it's kind of like, you just want to keep your feet churning. Even if you feel like you're making very little progress, just keep your feet going. Because then once you come out of that, you've got some momentum. If you just stop and don't do anything, by the time you come out of that, you feel a little bit better mentally and things are things are better. Now you've set yourself so far back because you didn't just keep your feet churning. So like every single day I got up and I went to work and, you know, um, you know went to work on the book, you know, acquired new clients um, and just – I think Holly and I were probably working like 13, 14 hour days for about a six month period there. Um, and this is when, you know, we're, you know, I was dealing with a lot of stuff, but it, it, it paid off. Like mm-hmm. that's what makes, that's what makes the difference. Anybody can feel motivated when things are good, they're healthy. Um, they have good relationships. Business is going well. That's easy to feel motivated then that's yeah. And you should and, and kill it when that's going on. But the difference is, is can you reach deep down when you get knocked down, when you get knocked flat on your ass, and you feel like you have very few options, can you say, I'm just going to get through this and keep my feet churning? Because that's what really makes the difference. And you talk to anybody, and I'm not saying I'm a great entrepreneur because I'm not, um, obviously, but you talk to anybody who's done anything that's great in the world, and they had something that knocked them down. They they And they... You know, um, I saw something on Instagram the other day. It was um, failure defeats losers and inspires winners. And I, I believe that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was almost like it gave you a blank slate to head in a direction that you probably hadn't even considered, really. No, you're 100% right. A hundred, a thousand percent right. That's very perceptive. Um, yeah, I, I, I never would have thought about the book. Um, I was too wrapped up in this other business. Yep. And um you know, like, but it ended up being the best thing that the month the book dropped, that was the best month of business I've ever done in my life. I've, I've, that's the most business I've ever done. And, you know, it was like, yeah, it was, it just, and I, you know, I, I put up some stories on Instagram where I was like, you know, I feel like I'm back, you know, mm-hmm. not, not because of finances. I think that finances kind of follow when you're doing the right thing, you know, and it's, it's funny, like, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't make any mistakes during this time period and, and bad things just happened to me. That's not true. I, I, I made, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. Um, I've done things I'm not proud of. 
Um, and, and life, I think, um, I saw something from somebody. It's not a linear thing. It's like, um, if you make one bad decision, now you're, you try to clean that up and then you make two more bad decisions. It's like lying. Like if you tell one lie, now you got to remember it forever and you got to create two more lies to cover the one lie. And then you got to make four more lies to cover the two lies. And it just, it ends up being an avalanche that crumbles. But making good decisions is also like that. You make one good decision and, and now you get an opportunity. If you take that opportunity then and you make another good decision, then you get another couple opportunities. And then it, it, it starts to snowball in the opposite direction, right? Mm -hmm. So I – and I had that like 2012, 2013. My god, I was just cranking like – you know, uh, yeah, I was doing so well um, back then business-wise and felt – I just, like 2012 was the best I've ever felt, like just cranking on my game, you know, business was going good, I was doing things, I was putting out a lot of content, I was doing things that were helping people, and you know, like, I've actually had quite a few people email me and message me and say, you seem like you're back, not because of the book or anything like that, but because you're back to just putting out content, helping people. Um, and you have that attitude that you used to have and that that feels better than anything to hear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you say that legacy and impact is like the biggest driver for you Lane? Well, you really you really got me red <laughs> uh, Yeah, I, I said um, You know the, the scariest thing to me is most people And I don't I don't want to sound judgmental. It's not an important thing for every person to be driven. Some people that they, they're happy, you know, kind of doing what do you would call an average job, having a family and just kind of living quote unquote a normal life. And that's totally fine. If that makes you happy, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, um, I look at it as, you know, regardless of your religious beliefs or anything like that, there's only one thing I know for sure. And that's that I have this life. And I want to get to the end of my life and be able to look back and say, I fucking did something like mm -hmm. I made a difference in the world. The world was a better place because I was here. I would hate to look back and say, wow, nothing I did made a difference. Uh, I was just vapor. Um, I was here and then I was forgotten. So, yeah, like um, I don't know if it's wanting to be remembered so much as just feeling like I made a big positive impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really think your book aligns with that. I think that you putting that book out and, and publishing it is really a way that is going to make a huge impact on a lot of lives. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a contest prep book at the end of the day, which isn't, you know, contest but prep is just like, contest prep. But I feel like videos and articles and all this, like in this world of information where so many things are just like out there, I feel like a book is different. Like, I feel like we forget about like, not, no, that you're we, right. not that we need to, like, we do need to continually put out video, but I almost feel like it being in the homes of, of people and, and people having their hands on it in such a concrete um, place is going to have a different level of impact. I agree with you. And people have treated it that way. So, yeah. you know, now uh, we're already working on the second book. So, oh, wow. Uh, what, uh, can you yeah. talk about it or not really? Yeah, I'll talk about it. It's, it's probably going to, it's going to be a powerlifting book. So we're cool. going to talk about kind of powerlifting contest preparation and eventually we'll get around to, you know, fat loss for the general population and all those sorts of things. And I think eventually I want to write an autobiography as well. Just, um, 
maybe nobody will buy it, but <laughs> I think <it'd> be, <laughs> I think people um, will buy it, Lane. <laughs> I think um, I don't know. I think I've had a, I've lived a relatively interesting life, and um, I, I think you know I told somebody this. I, I think the only way we learn in life is um, we there's a few ways to learn because when we're born we're a blank slate. The first is we do something and it either works or it doesn't work. And if we learn, um, if it worked, we do it again. If it didn't work, then we don't do it, right? The other way we can learn is we can uh, watch other people and we can say, okay, they made that mistake doing that thing and that hurt them, so I'm not going to do that, right? Like we we know uh, don't jump into a a ball of fire, mm-hmm. not not because we've ever jumped in and it hurt because – We've seen other people um, or we've known that other people have burned to death. And so we know that's not a good thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would love to be able to put something out and people can see, okay, these are the things Lane did right um, and give them some ideas. These are the things Lane did wrong. Um, You know, I don't want to repeat that and be in a situation he was in. But then also um, just be something that would be entertaining, I think. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, and plus, I'm a pretty open person. It's cathartic for me when I talk about um, things that happen in my life. In fact, um, I probably do it a little bit too much, <laughs> to be honest with you. But it's just kind of my personality. Now you got to keep on showing up as uh, as you are. That's for sure. Now we got a couple more questions here, uh, kind of looping it back. So, what does the research say about artificial sweeteners? Uh, the research about artificial sweeteners is, at least right now, is pretty, pretty unanimous that um, in the doses that people use them, they're relatively safe. To get any kind of side effects from like aspartame or, or those sorts of things, you would need a dosage that you, if you were talking about diet soda, you would actually uh, drown yourself to death first. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but, you know, th- there is some new research on Splenda that shows that it may change your, your, your gut microbiota. Um, now, what we don't know is, is that change a negative thing? Is it a positive thing? Is it a neutral thing? We don't know that. So I think before everybody runs and is chicken little and says, oh, God, Splenda is going to, you know, cause you to be, you know, diabetic and, and screw you up. Uh, I think we probably need to wait for the research to come out a little bit further. Now, if somebody doesn't want to use artificial sweeteners because they um, they say, I, I don't want to you know, chance it or I don't trust the research, that's fine. But as far as the research goes, it seems to be pretty clear cut. The only, the only research where they show like cancer or anything like that is when they are in animals and they just give them such high doses that, you know, anything's a poison if you take it high enough. Mm-hmm. So. In the in the reasonable doses, it, it simply doesn't seem like it. It um, it seems to be pretty safe. Mm-hmm. And what about for uh, like somebody who's going through a contest prep? Have you ever seen any negative side effects to the use of artificial sweeteners throughout a prep? Um, I wouldn't. I feel like for me personally as a coach, people will tell me that they feel different or that their stomach feels different, um, but. Uh, that's just more I think their some people observation. Certainly, but I, I don't know like, if you know, it's the, re- could be real or could also yeah, be I mean, not real. <laughs> a lot of stuff is, pl- is placebo, but you know, Splenda isn't typically digested by the by the gut, um, so I could see where it could cause some gastrointestinal distress. I mean, my girlfriend Holly, she knows that if she has too many artificial sweeteners, that she tends to get um, some kind of GI distress. So 
Um, it does seem that anecdotally that there is that. And I think some people like rely on them too much. I'm probably guilty of that uh, in terms of when I'm really hungry, I'll just throw down a you know diet Mountain Dew or something like that just because it's <laughs> it's something to, to drink or eat that has no calories. Now, you know, they do have trace calories. I think one can of soda has like one or two calories typically. Um, but, you know, even if you drink 10 of them, it's 10 calories. It's Nothing. it's pretty low. Mm-hmm. So um, I think where I think people can get in trouble is, um, you know, Holly did a great presentation on this in my, at our Miami camp. It's when you've got people who are chewing, you know, a full pack of gum per day because that does have carbs. Um, they're they're adding Splenda packets or aspartame packets because those packets in particular, um, the the artificial sweetener is so much stronger in sweetness than sugar that it's only a very minute amount, and most of what is in there is actually uh, dextrose or maltodextrin as a filler, mm-hmm. and. So each packet of Splenda or aspartame has about 0.7 grams of carbohydrate. So if you're, and I know people who do, you know, 20 packets a day because they have, you know, four with their coffee, they have a few coffees throughout the day, they put it on some food, you know, that kind of stuff. They use it in recipes. Well, that that can add up. And so if you've got that plus a full pack of gum you're eating a day, well, boom, there's 25 grams of carbs right there, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So then when they cut that out, they say, oh, wow, I, I, you know, I lost weight. Well, you probably lost weight because you actually cut out calories, not because the artificial sweeteners themselves somehow were impairing your ability to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think that that's more likely. And also, you know, just rounding errors on labels. You know, when you when you've got a, a single food ingredient uh, or single ingredient food rather, you know, you're pretty certain of what's going to be in it. You know, per weight. Um, when you've got multi ingredient foods that are are complex and and that sort of thing, you know, there's a little bit more wiggle room for error. So I think overall, you know, eating single ingredient foods is probably a, a good idea. I, I just, I don't want people to think that, you know, I've just seen what happens when I tell people eat only these and not these. Um, they just go crazy. You know, mm-hmm. I know very few people who are able to adhere to a lifestyle without developing some kind of weird, odd, even binge style relationship with food. So, you know, what I tell people is I will encourage them towards single ingredient foods, but it's also fine to have processed stuff as long as it's in moderation and you're tracking it in your calories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what about alcohol? How does booze work into fat loss and performance goals? Yeah, for the most part, alcohol doesn't impair fat loss or muscle building so long as you're accounting for the calories that are in it. Now, if you get enough drinks that you're actually like drunk, drunk, that, that's been shown that it can drop testosterone, uh, growth hormone. Now, growth hormone is not really anabolic, so that doesn't really matter. But um, it can also really impair fat burning. But again, that could just be from the caloric load that you're putting on your body. Um, but, you know, because if you have – like even if you're drinking hard liquor, people go, oh, well, it doesn't have any carbs or fats in it. Well, but a shot of whiskey still has 80 calories, Yeah. you know. So if you'd have, you know – eight shots. Well, you just had 640 calories, you know? So it, 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 I think alcohol is okay in moderation. And if you're accounting for it in your calories, and what we tell people is track it as a carbohydrate or fat, you know, um, either one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, I believe the division of that is by seven, correct? Yeah, so alcohol is seven calories per gram. So what I usually do is I just tell people, find out how many calories are overall in the drink. 
So, for example, my favorite beer is Ying Light, and uh, that's 99 calories. So if you divide it by four, that's about 25 grams of carbs. If you divide it by nine, it's 11 grams of fat. So, or I'll do a combination of both. So maybe like, um, like 15 uh, grams of carbohydrate and then um, uh, six grams or five grams of fat, something mm-hmm. like that. So I'll do a mixture. Um, but yeah, that, that's a totally appropriate way to track things because alcohol in a way acts like a carbohydrate and a fat. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think where people get in trouble is they go, oh, this is no carb, so it doesn't have any, I don't have to track it. You know, it's free. Nope, not free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Now, let's move into your shameless plug of your book. So who is your book good for and where can people find it? Well, obviously, uh, the complete contest prep guide is good for da 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 contest prep competitors. Um, uh, you know, the, it, it's it's comprehensive. We we spent I think twenty five pages just talking about how to figure out what your calorie deficit should be. Like we mm-hmm. we spell it out. There is no there is no guesswork. It's completely spelled out for you. Um, and then another you know twenty five pages on refeeds and diet breaks and twenty five pages on peak week and. Um, you know, 20 some pages on how to determine your macronutrient intake. So it's, it is literally teaching you how to fish. Now it's also got stuff about posing and traveling to your show and, you know, um, like show day and what to do. So there's a lot of extra stuff, but even if you were not interested in contest prep and you just wanted to learn how to set up a fat loss diet, it would be a wonderful addition to your knowledge base. I, I would say that almost, you know, John Meadows, who's a, a contest prep coach, he said, if you're a beginner, it'll be great for you. If you're intermediate, it'll be great for you. If you're advanced, it'll be great for you. All three will learn something and it's written a way that even a beginner can understand it. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with all of that. Absolutely. And even yeah. for coaches, I think it's an excellent resource to be able to support your understanding and, and be able to uh, lead your clients to success as well. Oh yeah, I've had a lot of coaches reach out to me and say thank you for this. Like this, it's kind of like it's just like a reference manual for them. You know, yeah. they're not just they're not using it client per client per se, but it's just like a nice reference guide for them, which is what I've got a lot of coaches saying that. So um, yeah, I'm really proud of it. As you can tell by how much I've gushed about it, I I enjoyed writing it. Uh, I'm enjoying selling it. Um, and if anybody's interested, they can find it at a uh, contestprepbook.com. Cool. And for our audience, I am giving away two copies of Lane's book, which you guys know how to participate because I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. All you got to do is head on over to iTunes, leave a rating as well as a review. Make sure that you're following me as well as Lane on Instagram, and I'll be sure to put all of that into the show notes. So just to wrap up today's episode here, Lane, what are your big goals for 2018? Big goals for 2018. So first of all would be to get another book done. Second would be to get completely healthy back-wise and, and be lifting heavy again. That's a big goal for me. And then another goal, would be, I would really like to, to grow my social media more um, and, and get a bigger audience. Um, because I, right now, I feel like if I can get in front of somebody, usually I can help them like understand my perspective but, you know, and I have a good following, but I would love to have a greater audience that I could speak to more. So that's kind of one of my big goals is, is putting out consistent content and getting also more efficient with my business. I'm, um, I'm kind of the master of operating in chaos. 
And uh, I think I can do much better if I had a much more regimented uh, way of doing things. So that's going to be one of the things I'm, I'm working on. And uh, on a personal level, um, one of my big goals is uh, to be the best father and partner I can be and, you know, really kind of have a productive all-around life. Mm-hmm. What, are, what do your kids think of seeing you as an athlete, Lane? Well, they're pretty young. You know, my son's four and my daughter's two years old. So, um, you know, they've never really had that connection because I, they haven't, um, you know, Liv hasn't seen me compete. Uh, and Robert only saw me compete when he was really young. So, I, you know, I don't know what they'll think about that. Um, my Yeah, you know, my son's the same age. He's two as well. I find like he, he just – everything that I'm doing, he just tries to replicate. I don't think he really understands that like it has to do with bodybuilding or what it is athletic-wise. But ever since he was able to walk, just kind of like replicating the different things that I do, it's been – like for example, I was doing more yoga when, uh, when he was first born and we would be just walking down the street and all of a sudden he would go into like a downward dog position with his bum <laughs> in the air just like replicating what he saw me doing at home. It was so funny. But uh, yeah, that's going to be cool. I think that growing up, with a dad like you and growing up with somebody who's in the field of athletics, I think you're going to be able to instill some some pretty concrete um, morals and, and concrete uh, work ethic and, and all of those sorts of things. What do you think? I, I mean, I hope so. You know, like we always would like to leave our kids better off than we were. So, um, you know, my, my parents were, were, were great parents. Um, I really have very few complaints Mom was a little bit overbearing, but she's a wonderful person, and they both have an extremely strong work ethic and extremely strong uh, ethics and morals, and um, you know, I would love to be able to, to be half the parent that they were to me and, and pass it on to my kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Excellent. And where can people find you online, Lane? Yeah, so the best place is my website, biolane.com. Uh, I also have uh, many social media. I'm on all the major ones, I think, unless a new one came up that I didn't know about. Um, so, uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, you can find me at BioLane. Um, and then, uh, Facebook, uh, my Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash Lane Norton. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty active on all those. So you'll definitely see me posting a lot of content there. Cool. That sounds good. And it's ironic. We kind of already touched on this, but the last question I ask everybody on the podcast is how would you like to be remembered? So you kind of touched a little bit on that midway through our conversation, but is there anything additional you want to add? Yeah, I guess uh, I would like to be remembered as uh, somebody who made a positive impact, but also um, basically people see me, they go, wow, that that guy didn't leave anything. He emptied the tank. He Mm -hmm. did. He did the absolute best he could with what he had. Um, nobody, nobody did more <laughs> with what they had. So that's kind of would be would be my goal. Mm-hmm. Will you compete again, Lane? Uh, powerlifting, yes, I hope so. Uh, bodybuilding, I think so. Uh, I'm okay. just not sure when. Yeah, just not sure when. Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you again for your time. Know that I am very grateful, and uh, this episode will be going live in about a week's time. Cool. Thank you, Angela. I appreciate the time and uh, you have me on. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Have yourself a good day, Lane. Bye for now. You as well. Oh, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. My insides are just so fulfilled and I'm so grateful that Lane took the time to 
So if you want Lane's book, this is your last opportunity. In next week's episode, I am going to be making the announcement on who the two big winners are going to be. So you have seven days to head on over to iTunes, leave that rating, leave the review, and really let me know what you think. Are there particular guests that you want on the podcast? Are there things that you want to learn more about? This is your way to reach out, communicate with me, and let me know what it is that you're really liking about the podcast, or maybe even some things that you're not liking as well. So that is a wrap for this week. I hope you guys have another fantastic week. I'm currently, let's see, two weeks out from my show which is like holy fuck (laughs) anywho that's my honest feelings we're getting really close guys thanks again for your support i appreciate it and have a great week we'll catch you next time